You know, if you do then there is nothing holy about, for example, Ibrahim. If we were to be asked why is it that we all have gathered here this evening the response would be Hussein if we were to be asked why is it that we have left the comfort of our homes and we will gather here for the next two months in commemoration of the greatest martyrdom the answer would be Hussein Similarly, starting this evening, millions upon millions of people will also gather in local Islamic centers and, ma and mosques and masajid to commemorate this great event. And if they are asked, the response would be Hussein. Why is it that we will not celebrate? Why is it that we will not be joyful? Why is it that we will live a life of sadness and sorrow for the next two months? Again, the response would be, Hussein, in less than 50 days, about 20 million people will flock towards the country of Iraq, using every mean of transportation to get there. They will walk. They will not feel the thirst and the hunger and the fatigue. And if they are asked why, their response would be, Hussein, why is it that we leave our businesses, we spend money, we leave our comfort. For what purpose? Again, the one and only purpose would be Hussein. But then, an extremely important question arises, brothers and sisters. What was the mission of Hussein? What was the vision of Hussein? What were the goals and objectives of Imam Abu Abdullah al-Hussein? Luckily, Imam al-Hussein has made that extremely convenient for us. Imam al-Hussein has given us the answer. Imam al-Hussein has drawn this map for us. He says to his brother Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyya, إِنِّي لَمْ أَخْرُجْ أَشِرًا وَلَا بَطِرًا وَلَا مُفْسِدًا وَلَا ظَالِمًا بَلْ خَرَجْتُ لِطَلَبِ الْإِصْلَاحِ فِي أُمَّةِ جَدِّي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ 
لكي آمر بالمعروف وأنهى عن المنكر وأسير على سيرة جدي وأبي وهذا يزيد رجل ظالم قاتل مبيح للنفس المحترمة وقد ركزني بين اثنتين بين السلة والذلة وهيحات من الذلة يأبى الله لنا ذلك ورسوله والمؤمنون فمن تبعني بالحق فالله أولى بالحق He summarizes this entire journey He gives us his mission statement He introduces us to his goals and objectives He says to his brother I do not embark on this journey besides to seek perfection in the ummah of my grandfather Rasulullah to bring change in the ummah of my grandfather Rasulullah to enjoin the good to forbid the evil and to restore the teachings and the sunnah of my grandfather Rasulullah and my father Amir al-Mu'mineen and Yazid as a drunken fool he's a man who disrespects the dignified soul he's a drunken murderer and he's given me two options either humiliation meaning to give him allegiance or death and Allah will not allow us, meaning the Ahlul Bayt, the noble progeny of Rasulullah, humiliation. Then he says this, فَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي Whoever follows me, بِالْحَقِّ Knowing that I am on the side of Haqq, knowing that I am following Haqq, فَاللَّهُ أَوْلَى بِالْحَقِّ That he is following Allah and the justice of Allah. Don't follow me because I am Hussein. Don't follow me because I am the son of Fatima and Ali. Don't follow me because I am the blood of Rasulullah. Follow me if you feel I am on the side of Haq and justice. And if you follow Haq and justice, then, they, then you are following Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, it is extremely vital and important for us not to deviate from the mission statement of Imam Al-Husayn. From the vision and the goals and objectives of Imam Abu Abdullah Al-Husayn. And I believe it is incompetent upon every single one of us to remind ourselves of this vision statement of Imam Hussein every day while we come to the majalis. We must write the mission statement of Imam Al-Husayn and keep it at the entrance of all our majalis. To remind ourselves why we are here. We should not be distracted with the cultural activities of the month of Muharram and the days of Ashura. With the ritual practices while forgetting the greater message. The legacy of, of, of Imam Al-Husayn. Imam Al-Husayn stood in the 61st year after the Hijrah to give his blood 
and to sacrifice himself and his family. Only 50 years after the demise of Rasulullah, only 50 years, what did he say? He says that Islam and its original teachings have been hijacked. The original Islam is at risk. Islam is being distorted and infiltrated by other forces. And I shall give my blood to protect the original teachings of Islam, the original message of Islam. Let me tell you this one more time so you comprehend the magnitude of the vision of Imam al-Hussein. Imam al-Hussein, 50 years after the demise of Rasulullah, found this ummah at loss. They are confused. They are uncertain. They're in darknesses. While Islam came to take them out of darkness into light, out of ignorance into knowledge, out of confusion into certainty, Allah waliyu alladheena amanu yukhrijahum min al-dhulumati ila nur But Islam was no longer a nur and a light for them. Islam as a name was there, but as a message, it was not there. The teachings and the principles of Rasulullah were forgotten. And that is why 50 years after the demise of Rasulullah, Imam al-Hussein had to sacrifice himself for the sake of the original teachings of Islam. Imagine today, in the year 1440 after Hijrah, 1440 years after the Hijrah, exactly 1429 years after the demise of Rasulullah, how desperate is Islam to protect the original teachings of Rasulullah, Qatamul Anbiya Muhammad? If Islam was desperate for its originality after 50 years, imagine 14 centuries later. And today this is the most important discussions that must be discussed from the manabir and the ulama and the scholars and the seminary and the mu'mineen. What is the original message of Islam? To protect Islam against fabrications, against lies, and to protect the legacy of Rasulullah and the original teachings of the Quran. Imam al Hussein embarked on this journey to bring change and reform into the ummah of Rasulullah. And this change and reform, brothers and sisters, must begin today, not tomorrow. Must begin this hour, not an hour from now. And it must begin through the movement of Imam al-Hussein. 
Today, as we begin this journey with Imam Al-Hussein, all over the world we find that there are two groups of attendees. Pay attention to this. Two groups of attendees. One group of attendees who are there from the beginning. Salat al-Jama'ah, Adhan, Iqama, Salah, Dua, Quranic recitation, the Majlis, and then the Matam, and then dinner. To seek the blessings of Imam al-Hussein, to seek the blessings of those Majalis. And then there is another form of attendees. At the time of Adhan, they are absent. At the time of Salah, they are absent. At the time of Quran, they are absent. At the time of Majlis, they are absent. At the time of Ma'tam and Matam, no, they are inside. At the time of dinner, you see them here. This is the second form of attendees. Which one is the one preferred by Imam Al-Hussein? Honored and respected by Imam Al-Hussein. Did Imam Al-Hussein give his blood and this greatest sacrifice on the face of the earth and within the course of history? Assalamu alayka ya waritha adama wa nuh wa isa wa musa wa ibrahim wa muhammad all the prophets, he's the warith of all the anbiya. Did he give all the sacrifice so we come and we beat our chest for him only? Wallahi, that is doing the greatest disservice to Imam Al-Hussein. If I, at the age 50 and 60 and 70 years old, have attended for majalis through the young age, and today in the United States, or in the United Kingdom, or in the western part of the world, they hold me, they say, what's your name? I say, my name is Muhammad. My name is Ali. My name is Hassan. My name is Hussein. They say, okay, are you Muslim? He says, yes, I'm Muslim. Of course, I'm Muslim. Do you believe in the Quran? Yes, I believe in the Quran. And then they ask him three, five simple questions about the Quran. If that individual is able to respond with knowledge, with logic, with power, with ilm, then those majalis have been successful. Those majalis have developed ambassadors and soldiers for the religion of Islam. And that is the cause of Imam al-Husayn. But if that person then says, no, I am ignorant of this matter. I know less about Islam and the Quran and Islamic history and Islamic hadith than a non-Muslim, than those majalis have failed. The attendance in those majalis has been a waste of time. Do not be surprised if in the day of judgment Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some people, He has not written the attendance in the majalis of Imam al-Husayn. Says, Ya Allah, 60 years I attended the majalis of Imam al-Husayn. Where is this in my book of A'mal? Say, what did you attend the majlis for? Hmm. Did you attend to follow the vision and the footsteps of Hussein ibn Ali? Or did you go to the majalis so that it reminds you of your culture 
and your rituals and your back home. Huh? Which one? We will be asked. Today, many of our Islamic institutions and our Imam Bargas and our Majalis, you go there in the year, during the year, and it's as if they have a sign at the door that says, this place only serves individuals 60 years plus who speak every language besides English. <coughs> Sometimes you feel you should check the door for a sign that says that. You check the door, there's no sign that says this is for senior citizens only that don't speak English that are here for the sake of cultural activities. But there is no sign. But when you come, this is the reality of our centers. Why? Our centers are empty of the youth. Why? Do we ask ourselves or do we keep on blaming the youth? And we keep on blaming the youngsters. And we keep on blaming the, the West. Let us for once ask ourselves honestly... Let us be fair. Ask ourselves, why have we created those institutions? Some of us feel every week we cannot take a flight back to Karbala or to Najaf or to Mashhad or to Kavamein or to Qom or to Lahore or to Islamabad or to Hyderabad. We can't. It's difficult. So what do we do? We sit in our vehicles and we drive to the local masjid or the local Imam Barga. There, it's Karachi. There, it's Lahore. There, it's Qom. There, it's Karbala. There, it's Najaf. Why? Because I want to remind myself of where I come. Eat the same food. Speak the same language feel that I have traveled back to my ancestors and my origins. And that is why people who come here expect that everything has to be done like it was back home. If you ask for a small change, they tell you, no, 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 no. no. Why, brother? He says, because this is how we do it back home. What's so holy about back home? The United States of America and Atlanta belongs to whom? To Allah. Similarly, Lahore belongs to Allah. Similarly, Qom belongs to Allah. Similarly, Najaf and Islamabad belong to Allah. What's so special? If anything has made those lands special is the presence of holy individuals, such as the Aimma, such as the Ahlul Bayt. Other than that, there's nothing special about them. There is nothing holy about, for example, the way we dress or the way we eat that should never be changed. Hmm? Do we ask ourselves those things? So we create environments for ourselves to come because we cannot travel thousands and thousands of miles away. It's very inconvenient. So when we come here, we have traveled back home. Even sometimes the laws don't apply. It's as if we no longer are in the United States. I said this a couple of years ago in a community. I said, 
I was trying to get to the majlis and there was a car that had blocked the entrance of the center. So by the time they went and they got the person to remove their car, hundreds of people were delayed. So I said this, I said, why do we feel that when we come to the majlis, we no longer are in the United States of America? I mean, would you block the parking lot of Walmart or Target or the movie theater or your college or your high school? You wouldn't do that. Why? Because you feel that you are in the United States of America. Laws apply. You have to be civilized. You have to follow the rules. But as soon as we step into this environment, no, we spiritually, mentally, physically travel back home. And as soon as we sit back in our vehicles and drive out of this place, we go back to civilization. We follow the rules. But while we are here, we don't want to follow the rules. So Allah will ask me in the day of judgment, why did you go to those majalis? Did you go <coughs> so that you give strength to Imam al-Hussein and the majlis of Imam al-Hussein? And to learn and to be an ambassador of Imam al-Hussein or you went so that you enjoy your cultural activities. Brothers, don't let Imam al-Hussein in this country be lonely and alone. Because of our ignorance and our greed for selfishness, we become selfish with Imam al-Hussein. As if Imam al-Hussein only belongs to us. And the way we see him, and the way we interpret him, and the way we define him. Today, Imam al-Hussein in this country needs the most powerful of ambassadors. What do I mean? You're sitting in your college. Your, professors grabs the, your professor grabs the Quran. He says, you know this book? This book entices violence. This book talks about killing of other people. This book is against freedom. This book teaches people to kill one another. And you, if you have been in the majalis of Imam al-Hussein, and right there and then you cannot defend Imam al-Hussein, you cannot defend the Quran, you cannot stand up and say, Professor, allow me to tell you how is it that you're wrong. How is it that you're giving false accusations towards the Qur'an? Then the professor says, go ahead. If you were going to say emotional things that don't make sense, you know, if you do Haydari, then it's not going to help you. If you read five qasidas, it's not going to help you. There, you have to speak logic. There you have to speak to him through the language that he understands. And you have to tell him, this is how I was taught and brought up because of the majalis of Imam al-Hussein. I can stand with confidence and speak the truth because I am a student of the member of Imam al-Hussein. This is the, the fruits of the majalis of Imam al-Hussein. Or... If after 50 years and 60 years you sit there and you think, I can't defend Rasulullah, I can't defend Islam, I can't defend the Quran, then our attendance at the majalis has failed. Today, ask many people, I don't want to be rude or disrespectful, 
but specifically the second group of attendees, the ones I spoke about. The ones who are only concerned with the matam. Brothers, don't get me wrong. We're not against matam here. Don't get me wrong. I am against the attendees only for matam. Ask them. Say, brother, name me five nohechans, your favorite. He names you at 15. He says, five? <laughs> Why five? Say it. I give you 15. Tell him, okay. Now give me 15 surahs from the Quran. Chapter 1 through 15. Write it down for me. This is a test. Now ask yourself, how heartbreaking would that be for Imam al Hussein? On the night of the 10th of Muharram, what was it that made Hurr ibn Yazid al Riyahi switch sides? He says, I went to the tents of Yazid, I went to the tents of Umar ibn Sa'd and Shimr, and I saw them gambling and drinking and dancing and partying. And they were empty of the remembrance of Allah. Then I came to the tents of Hussein. What, what did he hear there? Taliyan lil Quran. 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 Bayna raki'in wa sajidin wa taliyan lil Quran. So he said right there, right there. And then I asked myself. Ukhayyiru nafsi bayna al-jannati wal-nar. I give the option to myself of Jannah with Hussein and Nar with Umar ibn Sa'd. I will never give up Jannah. Jannah is with Hussein, but what was Hussein? Hussein is with the Quran. Hussein is with the Book of Allah, Amir al Mu'minin, wa Mawla al Mu'ahideen. وسيد المتقين أمير المؤمنين علي بن أبي طالب In his last moments he sits his children Hassan and Hussein This is the last advice he gives them This is the last admonishment that he gives them He says Bunayya Hassan Bunayya Hussein Allah Allah Imagine, this is Amir al-Mu'mineen. Those are the children of Rasulullah. Huh? He says, Allah, Allah. He uses the word Allah twice to grab their attention, to get their undivided attention. Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen does not use the word Allah in vain. No, he knows the value of the word Allah. Allah is a the greatest word uttered by human beings. Allah, Allah. He says that twice. Then what does he say? Bunayya Hassan, Bunayya Hussein, Allah, Allah bil Quran. Ij'aluhu imamakum. Let the Quran be your imam. Who is the imam of Hassan? Who is the imam of Hussein? The Quran. Not only the Imam of Hassan, not only the Imam of Hussein, the Imam of Rasulullah. The Imam of Rasulullah is the Quran. <coughs> but what happens to the Quran? 
today. Unfortunately, the central theme of our majalis, brothers, let me ask you sincerely, the central theme of our majalis, the central discussion of our majalis, is it the Quran? Or is it stories and poems and fictitious tales and entertainment? Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. We have the Quran. And yet the Quran is ignored. The Quran is forgotten. Today, the Quran, brothers and sisters, can change the face of our communities. Don't look for excuses why our majalis are empty and why the youth are not coming and why this and why that. The answer is one thing, because we have, we have forgotten the Quran. We have, we, we have ignored the Holy Quran. Amir al-Mu'mineen describes the believers, the mu'mineen, the muttaqeen, and, and their relationship with the Quran. What does he say? يُرَتِّلُونَ لِأَجْزَاءِ الْقُرْآنِ تَرْتِيلًا فَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِآيَةٍ فِيهَا تَخْوِيفٍ أَصْغَوْا إِلَيْهَا مَسَامِعَ أَبْصَارِهِمْ فَهُمْ وَالْنَارِ كَمَنْ رَآهَا وَإِذَا مَرُّوا بِآيَةٍ فِيهَا تَشْوِيقٍ أركنوا إليها مسامع قلوبهم فهم والجنة كمن رآها صبروا أياما قليلة أتبعتهم راحة طويلة Amongst the qualities of the believers, what does Amir al-Mu'mineen say? He says, أما الليل, at night, they stand firmly on their feet. Reciting the ajza of the Quran and Tartil in a beautiful rhythm. Allahu Akbar. A person who attributes himself to Ali and Fatima and Hassan and Hussein not only knows how to recite the Quran, recites the Quran in a beautiful voice, but memorizes the Quran. Imam Ali says, the mu'min, the muttaqi, in the midst of the night stands and recites Ajza'il Qur'an. If they reach an ayah that speaks of the wrath of Allah, what does Imam say? Imam says they give, they listen with their ears, but comprehend with their hearts. So them and the punishment of Allah, it's as if they have witnessed it. They're as if they have witnessed Jahannam, as if they have seen the punishment of Allah, because they recite the Quran the way Allah has pictured it for them, the way Allah has drawn it for them. And when they reach an ayah that speaks of the gratitude of Allah, the reward of Allah, 
the Jannah of Allah, they listen to it again with their ears, but comprehend it with their souls. So them and the Jannah, it's as if they have witnessed the Jannah. This is the relationship of a mu'min with the Holy Qur'an. And this is the task, brothers and sisters, a must-task of our majalis. And the purpose of Imam al-Husayn. So let us once more say this. Do not waste your time with the cultural and ritualistic aspect of Muharram while forgetting the vision of Imam al-Husayn and the mission of Imam al-Husayn and the objective of Imam al-Husayn for that will be the greatest disservice to Imam Abu Abdullah. Of Imam al-Husayn, 50 years after the demise of Rasulullah, stood and he said, I have to protect Islam with my blood. Today, one of the most important questions still revolves around the same mission of Imam al-Husayn, same task of Imam al-Husayn. Whether Sunni Muslim, whether Shia Muslim, any kind of Muslim, whether living in the West, whether living in the Middle East, whether living in Africa and India, today, they all ask one thing. What is it? What is the original teaching of Islam? What is the originality of Islam? Versus the distorted message of Islam. Huh? And this is the task of this member. To speak of the originality of Islam. The Islam that we know today, the Islam that we, the religion that we call Islam today. How has it been changed? How has it been influenced by what? By politics. By geopolitical issues. Time and geographic locations have played a role in distorting the teachings of Islam. Political leaders and their influence on scholars has played a role in distorting the message of Islam. Cultural practices has played a role in distorting the original message of Islam. The expansion of Islam into Europe and different parts of the world and the Muslim invasions has played a role in distorting the original teachings of Islam. The Islam that we know today has many things that has been, have been brought in. Just dump into this religion and say this is part of Islam. And many things that were part of the original teachings of Islam no longer exist. Are seen as taboos in the religion of Islam. And many brothers and sisters that the, the, the questions that are asked that seem to be extremely rational and logical today must be re-examined through the history of Islam. What do I mean? Islamic history needs to be re-examined, brothers and sisters, from the 11th year after the Hijrah. Why? Because that's the year of the demise of Rasulullah. While Rasulullah was there, 
Islam was protected by his presence. But at the 11th year after the migration from Mecca to Medina, Islam needs to be re-examined. Things that occurred within Islamic history that are now seen as part of Islam that were no longer part of the teachings of Rasulullah. Neither the Quran today are part of the religion of Islam. All the way to the Khilafah of the Khulafa, to the Umayyad dynasty, to the Abbasi dynasty, to the Ottoman Empire, to the Safawi Empire, to the Fatimi Empire. How has this 1,000 years, give or take, influenced the rest of Islam? The Islam that we know today, how much of it is imported into this religion? And how much of it is the teachings of Islam? If we can take back the Muslim community to its originality, brothers and sisters, we no longer have to deal with people being bored with their religion. Saying that this religion doesn't make sense. Saying this religion is old. I can't comprehend it. This religion is no longer applicable in the year 2018. If we can take our community back to the original teaching of Islam, our communities would not even have space, enough space to endure the great flood of individuals who will be enchanted, who will be mesmerized by the religion of Islam. Why? Because Islam was a revolution. When Islam began... In the Arabian Peninsula, it was nothing. In Mecca, you know, Mecca in itself was nothing, was a desert. In the middle of the Arabian Peninsula, and let me say this, the Arabian Peninsula was a desert. At the time in which the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire fought for this earth and the lands, they never cared for somewhere called the Arabian Peninsula. Why? Because it was a desert. It was nothing. Specifically, they never cared for that city called Mecca. Had nothing. No civilization. No wealth. Nothing. You never see the Persians and the Romans fight over a city called Mecca. Why? Because it was so insignificant. Now within this insignificant city and this insignificant region and those insignificant people, there was a group of people that believed in this new prophet. His name was Muhammad and he was an orphan and they were all slaves or ex-slaves. So they were the insignificance of the insignificance of the insignificant. But today, those individuals and that prophet happen to have the fastest growing religion in the world. What does that tell me and you? That tells me and you that there is something greater behind that orphan and those insignificant people in that insignificant desert. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fact that the religion of Islam is a logical religion. And the book of the Quran 
as the ultimate source of guidance. Amir al-Mu'mineen wa Mawla al-Muwahideen. When he speaks of the Quran, what does he say? He says, "Inna al-Quran hayyun lam yamut." The Quran is alive, and it will never die. Why? Because today we treat the Quran as a dead entity. We only open this book. We read Surah Yasin. We close the Quran. Amir al-Mumin says, "Don't." The Quran is alive, and it's, it's an alive entity. You need advice, go to the Quran. You need remedy, go to the Quran. You need guidance, go to the Quran. You have problems with your family, go to the Quran. You have problems within your business, go to the Quran. You have problems in your community, go to the Quran. The Quran is alive. Don't treat it like a book that's dead. Inna al-Quran hayyun. لم يمت. Then he continues and he says, وَإِنَّهُ لِآخِرِنَا كَمَا هُوَ لِأَوَّلِنَا It is as fresh, as thoughtful, as mesmerizing, as inspiring for the last of us as it were for the very first of us. Imagine how mesmerized the people were with the Quran when it first was introduced. People were so mesmerized that they had to cover their ears so that they don't convert to Islam just by hearing the Quran. It had a spell on people. Amir al-Mu'mineen says, it's as powerful for the very last of us as it were for the very first of us. This should be the ultimate vision of our majalis. And tonight in the journey, the beginning of this journey, in which we will speak about in the next 12 nights, and we will discuss the originality versus distortion of the religion of Islam, I want to conclude and, and finish with taking my audience to the Masjid of Rasulullah after his demise. Whether Sunni or Shia. Come with me to the Masjid of Rasulullah days after his demise. And let's see what was happening there. Because there we will start examining the Islamic history. From there, from this point on, and from tomorrow we will continue. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.